Good morning, church. It's great to be with you. It's great to be with you. You know, sometimes in life there is a, there's a twist, isn't there? Like in the story of our lives, uh, there's a twist. There's, a, uh, there's an unexpected turn. Uh, maybe sometimes in our lives there's, uh, there's an occasion where we would even say, man, I didn't see that coming. Sometimes, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, when I go to a restaurant, I kind of look at the outside. Does it look like a place that I want to go? And there are those occasions, maybe like you, I've been on vacation or out of town, and I think, i got to go try the local food. And so I'll look for a local person to tell me about the local food, and they say, oh, you got to try this place, and then you get there, and it's kind of a hole in the wall, right? I mean, you kind of look, you, you, you approach the outside of the building, and you think, this this place? Several years ago, I, I happened to be out of town. I was in Danville, Illinois, visiting a preacher friend of mine, and, and uh, it was about lunchtime, and he said, hey, let's, let's go to lunch. What do you want? I said, I said, I don't know. Take me to someplace local, you know? I'm never going to get anywhere else unless I'm in Danville, Illinois. He goes, all right, let's go to Grossberger. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you just say gross burger? Yeah, gross is burger. Okay. This, this is gross's burger. It, it's not a lot to look at. And you walk in, and it's kind of old, and the chairs are kind of old, and you can tell this place has been there for a while, and there's like... You know, there's some grease on the walls, and you kind of slide in, and you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's, eh. you kind of, in your mind, you're going, should I eat here, or can I bail right now? The place is called Gross Burger, and it was one of the best burgers I've ever had. I mean, it was just this entirely plot twist in my life. I mean, if, I, if you and I were to go to Danville, Illinois, I would take you to Gross's Burger. It's amazing. And sometimes life is like that. It just gives us a little twist. It gives us a turn. It gives us a shift. And, and we think, wow, I didn't see that coming. This last Thanksgiving, we, we happened to be out for lunch, and uh, everybody was uh, in a buffet line, you know, and we were going and getting all the different stuff, and my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law went to the buffet, and, and he got a, a plate of food, and, and uh, in one of the, the salad sections, you know, they often have pudding. So he, he took a big, several spoonfuls of what, of what he thought was pudding. Have you ever had a big mouth of tartar sauce? <laughs> he thought it was tapioca. Sometimes life gives you a little turn. It, it gives you a, a, a switch. It, 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 you just didn't see it coming. 
Uh, sometimes Christmas season can be that way. Uh, maybe you got a gift that you weren't anticipating that you would get. I remember one Christmas, my dad, um, my mom had uh, lost the diamond in her wedding ring, and my dad replaced it, and, and, and my mom was just so surprised. I mean, it was, a, it was a twist in the whole story of Christmas for her that particular year that she just didn't see coming. And maybe you have stories that are, are very similar to that. And this morning, uh, what I want you to see in, in the text is uh, that we enter into the Bible as we leap in, as we go into it, there's going to be a twist. There's something that, that no one in the story would have seen coming. Now, the problem with church people, sorry church people, is sometimes uh, we come to the text and we think, ah, I've, I've already got that figured out. I've heard this story before. But maybe if you'll just suspend what you think you know, and you, maybe if you'll, if you'll hear the story as if it's the first time, and if you'll read the story, uh, maybe you can just follow along with this twist and go, whoa, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Because I assure you, with the story that we're going to get into this morning, nobody sees it coming. I mean, it's a twist of epic proportions. Mary is going to be the mother of Jesus. Uh, she's had an angel come to visit her, and uh, she's okay with it. Uh, Joseph, in a dream, has been told that Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm sure both of them are scared out of their mind. She's probably around 14. He's maybe 20 or 21 or maybe a little older. And here they are, very super ordinary people in poverty. And, and the God of the universe, the King of all of creation, has decided to, to come in humble beginnings with them. I mean, this is, a, this is a twist. This is a, a shock to our system. Nobody sees this coming. I add to the story that uh, there seems to be a supernatural light appear in the sky, a star. But some astrologers, some wise guys from the east decide uh, that they need to follow, and they're following it to find and worship the king. So this morning, we, we jump in head first into the twist of this story, uh, this unexpected adventure, and it pushes us, it pushes us to make a choice. It pushes us into a decision. It pushes us to choose, and we're going to have to choose whether we're going to be the king or whether we're going to worship the King. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 2. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. And if you are searching for a Bible, go ahead, grab one of those Bibles in front of you. Um, around page 676 is where you're going to find Matthew chapter 2 today.
Chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child, and as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Be the king. Worship the king. These guys from the east, they come, and it's very clear in this text, it's very clear what they came to do. They came out searching for the king of the Jews. They came, they wanted royalty. The interesting, ironic part is that Herod, maybe some of you know this, that Herod thought of himself as the king of the Jews. And he looked the part. I mean, he had the power. He he had the might. He had the army. uh, He had the people. He had the money. He had the prestige. Yet that's that's not who they came for. Now here's the weird part. The one they did come for doesn't look like a king. Have you ever noticed that? He sure doesn't look like a king to me. Oh, think about it. He's got the wrong parents. All the wrong parents. Oh, I know, I know. I know some of you are thinking of the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, you're thinking, hey, hey, wait a minute. Joseph has royal blood running through his veins. Oh, that might be true. Joseph may have a drop of royal blood running through his veins, but he sure doesn't look the royal part. Um, This isn't exactly Prince Harry going to get married, right? I mean, this is a a peasant. This is is a guy that, that is just like the rest of us. He's just trying to make a living and do the thing. I mean, he is so unbelievably ordinary. And his, his bride is every bit as ordinary as he is. 
I mean, I will tell you, he just simply doesn't look the part, does he? Their child just doesn't seem like a king. Not only are they from the wrong, not only is this child from the wrong parents, it seems like uh, this child is, is, well, he's born in the wrong location. I mean, in the ancient world, where they happen to be, uh, babies, royal babies, aren't born in Bethlehem. This small little country town on the outskirts of Jerusalem. No, no, no. Babies that are royal aren't born in Bethlehem. They're born in Jerusalem. That's where the royal babies are to be born. That's where they're to be coddled. Uh, that's where they'll find the fanfare. Uh, they'll find uh, all of the, uh, the glorious riches uh, I'm sure you know, the babies that are royals that are in Jerusalem, uh, they're going to have the best pillows and the best nursing care, and people are going to coddle them and hold them. Uh, they're going to get the best of everything, and yet, and yet they, we find this one born from Mary and Joseph in a barn maybe in the side of a cliff where some animals would have gotten protection from the weather. It sure doesn't look like he's a king, does it? It sure doesn't look like he's a king. Not only does it seem like he's from the wrong parents, and not only does it seem like he's from the wrong location, it really does seem like he doesn't get the right kind of reception. He gets the wrong reception. Think about royal babies for a minute. Now, I know we're not in a monarchy uh, over here on this side of the pond, uh, but we hear about royal babies from this side of the pond, don't we? I mean, there is fanfare, there is, there is pictures and tabloids and, and, and news headlines. What is there for this would-be king? Meh. He gets goats. He gets sheep. Maybe he gets a camel or two. He gets some shepherds and some guys that he's never even known. His family isn't there. Who is there to receive this king? Where are the headlines? Where's the, uh, where's the royal entourage? Have you noticed he sure doesn't look like a king? Everything seems wrong with the story. If we're honest, he doesn't look like a king. And yet, these guys coming from the east have come to worship the king. They want royalty, man. That's what they're here for. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, ah, come on, come on, he's got to be the king. Flip over a few chapters with me. If you're in the, the, the pew Bibles in front of you, turn over to page 697. In Matthew 27, this isn't the only time we see this king of the Jews. In Matthew chapter 27, we, we find that uh, 
this king of the Jews, this same one uh, who was in the stable, the same one who was in the manger, the same one who is, who is uh, birthed by peasant parents, the same one who was born in Bethlehem, uh, this small little out-of-the-way uh, country town, uh, the same one who was received by goats and sheep, and people that he never knew, uh, we see this king of the Jew again. Look in verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes. It is as you say, Jesus replies. There's the king. But in this context, where is the king? The king is on trial. And it's not for petty theft. He's on trial for his life. Drop down a few verses. Look at verse 27. This is the king? I mean, at least here in this context, I suppose you could say he looks sort of like a king. Verse 27, the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of the soldiers around him and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and they twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they put a staff in his hand and he, they knelt in front of him and they mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews! Well, I guess you could say he looks the part, he's got a crown and he's got a robe and there's people worshiping him. I don't know about you, but it sure doesn't seem to me like this looks like a king. He doesn't look like a king, does he? You go down even further down. Verse 37. He's got a sign. He's being crucified now. There's a sign above his head, verse 37, above his head they place the written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Wait a minute. The king is on the cross? Sure doesn't look like any king I've ever known. Sure doesn't look like a king, does it? I mean, let's be honest. Is that the kind of thing a king does? And it's here, right here, in this spot, in the agony and the tension, that we have to make a choice. Are we going to be the king? Or are we going to worship the king? You see, there's something that Herod teaches us in this passage. Uh, you know Herod, the evil guy. The one who is going to uh, kill all the children in Bethlehem to try and uh, preserve his power. I mean, do you see, Herod sees himself as the king of the Jews. And so he has decided that he is the king. He's the king. And if he's the king, that means that no one else is. You see, there is only room and there's only space in every kingdom for one king. And if you decide that you are the king, 
If you decide that you're the king of your castle, if you decide that you are the ruler of your domain, then there is room for one king. One. And nobody else. Herod teaches us that there is room for one king only. So, here's the question. Here's the question that you have to answer if you're honestly saying, okay, am I going to be the king or am I going to worship the king? Here is the question you have to answer. Who is in charge? Who's in charge? Who rules? Who's master? You see, I know, I know, man, do I know that we can come and we can gather in spaces like this one and we can say, oh man, yeah, with my head, man, he's in charge. But then in my heart and in my activity, it's really me saying in my head that he's in charge all the while I'm in charge. It's Christmas time. Some of you are going to be invited to great parties. You're going to be invited to office parties. Um, you're going to have opportunities to gather with friends, which is amazing. Now, here's been my observation around Christmas parties. When we go to Christmas parties, there's oftentimes an open bar. Uh, what I mean by an open bar is that it's free, right? Like someone else is picking up the tab. Now, some of you probably, uh, you go home once in a while, uh, you open up the refrigerator, you have an alcoholic beverage. You're over 21, uh, you feel like uh, the Lord has given you the freedom to be able to do that. But it's Christmas time and there's an open bar. And you're going to go to the party and you're going to be gathered together with friends. And you, you have to decide, how am I going to use the freedom which the Lord has given to me? Will I use this freedom? And will I allow myself to go to an open bar? Now, this is a choice that all of you are going to have to make probably, if you haven't already. And something's going to prompt you in the back of your mind, okay, if I use this freedom to have several drinks tonight at the open bar, uh, is there an implication on someone else's life? Do I sear someone else's conscience and do I lead them to sin? Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Hey, in the moral activity of your daily life, uh, when you're challenged with things, who, who's in charge? You, you decide with a, with a friend that you're going to go to a movie Oh, and I know there's some great movies out there. I love watching movies. And there's just this something and this moral conscience. You read, you read the description on the bottom of the label, uh, and it says, yeah, very clearly, you know, sexuality and some nudity in this movie. And you think, man, I, I know me. Is this... I know, I know what my friend is going to say. Ah, oh, come on, man, don't worry about it. But I got to make 
that decision. And you, you all, in the, in the circumstances that, uh, that, that just find their way into your life on a daily basis, you're going to have to decide who's in charge. Will I, will I be the king or will I worship the king? Maybe it's just with your time. Uh, this Christmas, you're thinking about family and you're thinking about relationships and you're thinking about people that have been close to you over the years and you think of that person who's really far from you right now. And to be truthful, you don't really want to talk to them. Uh, to be truthful, uh, the, the only feelings that are conjured up in you when it comes to talking with that particular person in your life is anger and frustration and hurt. And yet something, something deep inside of you, uh, maybe we can even call it the Holy Spirit, just says, call them, call them, talk to them, pick up the phone. And you're going to have to decide, am I going to be the king or am I going to worship the king? But you have to know, you have to know that this story, as we walk through it, there's room for one king. There's room for one king. Now, I know, I know, I get it. I've told you all about it. He may not look much like a king right now. I mean, he may not look like a king in the world. I mean, you think all the evil and all the hurt and all the brokenness in the world, and maybe you're just sitting there thinking, I don't know if he seems much like a king right now. And you're tempted really to come over and say, I'm going to be the king. I'm going to be the king of my castle and the ruler of my domain. But you have to choose. That's the choice. Be the king or worship the king. Now, if you followed along through that passage, when we read through uh, Matthew chapter 2, I mean, this, this text, just as a whole story, just prompts us and pushes us and pulls us and, and, and just releases us to worship. I mean, if you're going to say, I want to I worship the king, this is a great, great story about worship. And you have an opportunity to say, I am going to worship the king. And I don't know, how do you do that? In a thousand different ways. Maybe this Christmas, uh, this season, uh, you know, you're so busy. And your mind is racing all the time. Maybe you're not sleeping well. Uh, maybe what it takes for you to worship the king is just as simple. You get by yourself and you get on your knees and you begin to talk to God. And maybe, maybe you don't even talk to God as much as you say, I'm just going to sit and I'm going to listen. Lord, I will let you intercede. I don't know what that is all going to look like, but what, would you just help me hear you? And you're going you're gonna to place this king in the middle of your life, and you're going to say, I am going to worship the king. And you're going to get together with other people. And maybe they don't have the same ideas about what you have uh, about uh, Jesus and the church. And, uh, and you're going to have an opportunity to go, hey, hey, you know what? Let's talk about Jesus. Uh, let's read the Christmas story. Let's, let's listen to some great carols. Let's sing. Let's praise. Let's raise our hand. Let's go to church on Christmas Eve. 
And you're going to have an opportunity to go, we're going to place Jesus right in the center of what we're doing, and we're going to worship the King. Maybe you're going to have an opportunity in line somewhere. It's going to be super busy. I know some of you. You haven't done your Christmas shopping yet. And you're going to go to Target and Walmart and you're going to go to the mall uh, because you can't find what you're looking for online. And there's going to be a long line and you're going to be like, oh, I got, you know, I've got this stuff and we're, we need to be somewhere. And, and you're going to be super frustrated and, that, and, then, and then you're going to be prompted inside, you know, I need to be patient right now. And you're going to look around and go, yeah, all right, uh, why don't you step in front of me? Well, why are you doing that? Yeah, just I have to be able to tell my pastor later on this week that I. <laughs> and actually, you know what? It's not about me. It's about him. And you're going to be able to, to stand before the God of the universe, the king of the universe. And you're going to be able to say, I am practicing worshiping the king. Because I've decided I'm not going to be the king. I'm going to worship the king. I know, I know some of you are thinking, this is hard. It's easier to be the king than it is to worship the king. But you have this great opportunity to push your life in the direction of worshiping the king. I know that he doesn't look like a king right now. I, mean, I get it. I know that there's hurt in your life. I know there's hurt in, in people's lives around you, but he is the king. Revelation 19, he's the king. He's the king. It's the same king. It's the same, same babe that, that, that these wise men go to want to worship. And he's the king. And Revelation 19, uh, everything is coming to a head. Evil is going to be vanquished. He's putting it down. And I want you to notice what he looks like. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. And his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has his name written on him that no one knows but he himself, and he is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on the white horse, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. He looks like a king. And there he is on a great white steed, and he's got his robe, and he's got his crown on, and everybody knows he is the king. And you got to know that even though he may not look like much of a king now, he's going to show up one day and no one is going to miss it. Everybody's going to know he is the king. And so you, you have this glorious opportunity right now to say, I'm not going to be the king. I'm going to worship the king. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing that Scripture tells us about the king. You have a choice right now. You have a choice right now to worship the king voluntarily. But when he shows up, 
when he shows up and the crowns are on his head and there are white horses under him, if you didn't choose to worship the king, the choice will be made for you. And your knee will bow and your tongue will confess, he is the king. What child is this? This child is the king. And so I'm asking you, I'm begging you, I think Christ is, is prompting everybody in this room, myself included, that this week, if it's one thing, make it one thing. One area, one action, one event where you say, I'm going to worship the king. I'm going to let that person go ahead of me in line. I'm going to go call that person. I'm going to spend time. I'm going to think through that decision. But I'm going to make one choice. I'm going to, make, I'm going to have one action. I'm going to celebrate one event. I'm not going to be the king this week. But I am going to worship the king. Because this child, I know he doesn't look like much now. But he's the king. And I will worship him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for who you are and how you operate. And Lord, we just, we raise our voices. We lift our hands. We lift our voices. We praise you. We get down on our knees. We, we practice every day. We talk to people and we just simply want to say, you're the king. And we want to worship you like the king. Lord, help us not to be in charge. Help us not to be in charge. Lord, I pray that you will prompt us, each of us, to find that area, find that event, find that idea where we will worship you as the king. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.